Thank you for tonight and what it means in these last days to be able to come together and do what the early church did. This is how they grew. This is how they were encouraged. This is how they were corrected, was to come together and to, to talk about what the apostles were preaching, to pray, to fellowship. Uh, this is how the body of Christ was strong in the early days of the, of the church. And so we want to be a strong church in these last days before the return of Christ. So God, we ask that tonight that your word would do it only only your word can do, that your word would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that your word would correct us where we are still too humanistic in our thinking and our reactions and in our feelings. Allow your word tonight to set our, our, our course because it's still a lamp unto our feet and still a light unto our path. So I thank you, Father, that no one is going to be lost or confused tonight because your word will lead us and guide us into all truth. We ask, Lord, tonight just for victory in our families, victory in our health, victory in every situation that we are facing. Come on, somebody, remind your spirit that Satan is under your feet and that we have victory in Christ Jesus over all things. Father, we tonight, uh, Ms. Vidi asked for this, we are asking tonight for this coming generation, this generation that the enemy has confused, this generation that the enemy has confounded and manipulated and deceived. We are speaking over this generation that they would come out of darkness. God, open up their eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. Father, bring them into a place of divine revelation of their own need of a savior and how their sins are just destroying them god i believe it doesn't matter what their age is i believe you can reach them because you love them so we send forth your spirit we send forth your truth to deal with this generation to help this generation we also pray for the parents of this generation the teachers of this generation the those in authority in this generation god that you would give them understanding of how to help this generation how to deliver this generation how to encourage them but also me how to disciple them and, and raise them up to be the, the generation that serves you, that loves you, that follows you. Tonight, God, we are asking that you would do these things in a mighty way. We won't let Satan have this generation, family. We won't. We claim this generation for the kingdom, for our Savior. We thank you, Father, that you love them and you're still doing the work even when we can't see it. You are working. We believe, God, that you are that you're going to preserve them, help them, bless them. Father, again, just allow our time tonight to be fruitful. Come on, somebody. If you believe that, put it in the chat. This time is going to be fruitful. That means that God is producing something in your life, in your understanding, in, uh, your calling, your anointing, your purpose. It's going to be fulfilled in these last days. We thank you, Lord. We call it done in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. So as we get into Ephesians chapter 2, let me just real quick just clarify. Whenever I say last days, I don't want anyone ever get fearful and, and worried. Uh, if it's the last of times, then it is the best of times. Okay, that's just, we have to believe that about what the scriptures say. And so from that standpoint, when we say the, the end of days, we don't mean that everything is ending. We just mean that time itself is finally coming to an end and eternity is going to pick back up uh, and, and take over. God is already in eternity. He always has been. He always will be. Time itself, it just the reason time exists is because of the fall, because of sin. But God's going to get rid of sin. When he gets rid of sin, he'll get rid of time, and we will exist forever, either in eternal heaven or eternal damnation. So let's go to heaven. <laughs> and the only way there we're going to begin to dis discuss here tonight is obviously Ephesians chapter 2. So Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be reading from. And I'm thankful to everyone in the room tonight. Um, Oh, I should even ask. Okay, yes, we are live. Okay, I should ask that. Uh, we were at the Ortega's home, and we we're so grateful for Pastor Beto and Ms. Vidi in terms of not just opening their home, but just who they are. Come on, if you love the Ortega's, you better put some fire in that chat right now and let them know. We, are, we love them. We're thankful for them. 
So Ephesians chapter 2, uh, I'm kind of using the, the New Living Translation just because it's a little bit easier to understand, uh, but we'll kind of be bouncing around from different translations just because uh, there are some things that are, English is such a, a vast language, there are just some thing, things that are said better, sometimes in King James, they're said better in the NIV, uh, but thank God that the, uh, we're not doing this to, to be confusing, we're doing this so that we grasp what exactly the revelation of what, uh, what God is showing us, so... So here we go, Ephesians chapter 2. Again, for those of you who weren't a part uh, the last time we had this discussion, Ephesians is the church in Ephesus. The Ephesians are the Ephesian people. Paul is writing to them. Uh, if Ephesus was really a main seaport um, for the Roman Empire. It was the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. So it was so important to uh, not just the, the Roman influence, but really to trade and communication throughout the empire. And so Paul knows this. And so writing this epistle, uh, this book is actually so powerful because Paul really, this is like the only one of his letters that he doesn't address the Ephesians. He's kind of addressing the church as a whole because he knows this book is going to spread all across the Roman Empire. So uh, very strategic in terms of what Paul was doing. But chapter two is where we are. And we did, if you were part of this conversation last time, we didn't even finish chapter one. So we'll see how far we get with the, uh, the time that we have here tonight. Uh, but Ephesians chapter two, verse one. So Paul says to us, he says, uh, once you were dead because of your disobedience, or dead in your, tres uh, your tres transgressions and dead in your sins. So we've already got a definition here uh, that is kind of separated. Somebody real quick, just talk to me, talk to me a little about, uh, you don't have to maybe identify your sins, but, uh, but the difference, anyone really understand the difference between transgression and sin? Because he, he is drawing a distinction here. So any thoughts about that? Before I just give the floor to Pastor Beth, though. Any, any thoughts about transgression and sin? You were once dead in your transgressions and in your many sins. Any thoughts? All right, go ahead, Pastor Beth. I'm going to put you on the floor, sir. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about this idea of being dead in our transgressions and dead in our sins. So I think that uh, sometimes when we're in our transgressions, sometimes we don't really realize that what we're doing is sinning, right? Sorry. So now when we come to know the Lord, we understand what the Lord is expecting to us, right? So now we know what is sin and different things like the word says, right? Uh, for him to do, then also do right and doesn't do it, to yep. then sin, right? Yes, sir. So now when we were sinners, when we were lost, we may have not known that, hey, that's the thing that I'm supposed to do, right? Right? So when the Lord says, hey, you gotta, you know, well, they will know them by the way that you love one another, he's yes. expecting us to love other people. Absolutely. So maybe before we were lost in our transgressions that we did not love one another and we wanted revenge. So if Brother Mark did something to me, I'm going to get him back because that's, you know, that's what we do, right? If we call a person something like, hey, you know, you're, uh, we're, we're not going to get along or whatever. But I think that that's, that's the revelation that we get once we come to know the Lord. Yeah. We understand that there's a difference, right? That there's an expectation. Amen. Amen. The, uh, what Pastor Beth is saying is so spot on. This, this understanding, that we all kind of know what sin is. We, we know when, okay, I probably shouldn't do this. I probably shouldn't say this. Uh, I'm going to do it anyway. That's, that's my sin. This idea of transgression really speaks to the law because these are 
for the most part, these are Jewish converts. Uh, Gentiles, kind of, you will see they kind of come into the picture, but these Jewish converts understood what a transgression was because I know what the law says. So to trespass the law is to transgress against what the law is telling me. And so in my many transgressions, how I disobeyed the law, and in my many sins, because the law pointed out their sin, made it clear what their sin was. Uh, but yes, the distinction Pastor Bettles talked about is sometimes I don't even realize what I'm doing is, is wrong. Sometimes I absolutely know, and other times I'm just like, I think this is okay, right? And if I know anything about this generation, we love to justify what we're doing. We love to justify uh, uh, things that are clearly sin and some things that are just like, yeah, I'm not really sure and I don't really care to find out. I'm going to do it anyway because I want to. And so we, what we don't realize is that these things actually make us dead. And this is what Paul's telling us. You were once dead in your transgressions and your sin. Verse 2, he says, you used to live in sin just as the rest of the world obeying the devil, uh, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God or the spirit at work in the hearts of the disobedient. So let's chat about this for just a, a, a quick moment because this verse right here really lets us know how the enemy operates. Okay, where, where he, Where's his position? Where is he? Is he, my, is he my head? Is he under my feet? Is he hanging out you know, in, in my home? Where is he at? Well, according to this, and I think actually the King James tells us he's the prince of the power of the air. Okay, so this idea of, of a, uh, he has a dominion, if you will. Okay? Uh, you and I, we're kings and, uh, and priests. We're royalty uh, unto God. We have a dominion. Satan has a dominion. The prince of the power of the air. So he's at work, if you will, in the atmosphere around us. Whether that is the atmosphere we allow in our homes, the atmosphere we allow in our church, <laughs> the atmosphere that we, uh, we, see, we feel at work, the atmosphere in, in the cities or areas that we live, the enemy is at work there. And I, I've always loved this, this idea of, uh, of my understanding, love this idea that if Satan is, is at work in the air, Jesus taught me that I have the authority to speak to that dominion. Yeah. Okay, I, I, can, I can speak to uh, whatever is, is in the atmosphere. I, I can bind things in the heavens and I can loose things in the heavens. So it's that place where Satan has dominion that I have the authority over. And so I, I think of this too, the, the idea of him being the prince of the power of the air. How much of the airwaves you know, does he control? Uh, how much information is going out constantly via the airways? Now, this probably makes a little more sense back in the day when we use radio and, and, and a lot of television. But, 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 okay, this idea of streaming, when all of a sudden we're preaching good or something good is happening, and then boom, it just all shuts down. It's like, why did that happen? Was there, was there a coincidence? Um, was it just the people who control Facebook or uh, YouTube that just wanted this to shut down? Or is the enemy at work in these areas because he's the prince of the power of these areas. But we understand this. Above all else, wherever his dominion is, we understand that he is working in the hearts of those who disobey God. So any, any quick revelation, anything jump out at anybody when we, when we read this? Yes, sir, please. Well, I mean, the Bible says he's, he rolls around like a problem line, right? Mm -hmm. Seeking someone in the Bible. Yes, sir. The earth, right? Yes, sir. I, mean, I think a lot of us uh, are told or believe that He's in hell doing his work, but he's not. Correct. He's not, he's Correct. Not yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. He's a singular entity, but he is yes. working. Yes. Absolutely. And that's why he has his henchmen, his, uh, his, uh, his lieutenants, his, yeah, a chain of command, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Those that work with him, work for him, and ultimately are producing his will in the earth as well. And this is why when we get to Ephesians 6, it does tell us that we have that kind of, that's why we have the form of God to fight against the principalities that work in the air. Yes, ma'am. The good news is, he only has the control that we give him. The Preach, truth sister. Is we can say, get behind me, Satan. And he's out. He's Amen. gone. Amen. Amen. So he only has so much power. What I've learned about the enemy is the only power he actually has, what Mama's saying, is in our agreement. I have to come into agreement with him. That's what Eve did. That's what he tried to get Jesus to do in the temptation. The only power he has is when I agree. Once I agree, now he has the authority. Okay, but I can tell him, get thee behind me, Satan. As Jesus ultimately told, uh, well, he, didn't say, he said it to Peter, but there was something controlling Peter in that moment, trying to get, him, trying to get Peter to agree against the word of God. So, amen, Mama. I love, I love this verse right here because it, it really lets me know that I used to live this way. And if I'm not careful and I start to live in disobedience, I'm going backwards to something. I'm going back to being controlled by the prince of the power of the air. So this is profound in these moments. Any other thoughts before we continue? Yes, ma'am. I, I, this also inspires for the, the patience that we need as believers for Come unbelievers. On. Because we got to realize that people behave, act, or live the way they do because they're under that power. Right. As slaves, as right. we, like he was saying, we were once in that yeah. state of slavery to him and to his influence, but now we are free. So we can look at people with that mindset. They, yes. They behave like that because what can you expect from a dead person? Yes, ma'am. Right? Preach. So, what can you expect from a dead person, as Vidi said? I can expect bad attitudes. I can expect them to try to cheat and swindle me. I can, I can expect them to cut me off and then give me the finger, even though the ones that cut me off. Okay. Yes, absolutely, because they're dead in their trespasses. They're dead in their sins. So, so I think what that does for us as believers, oh, wait a second, I am not fighting flesh and blood. I want to, but the warfare is, the, is what they're being obedient to. The, the, the prince, the power of the air. That's such a profound revelation that Ms. Vini has given us that I pray that we all will catch on to that. You know what? Yeah, they get on my nerves. Yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to undermine me. Yeah, they're really, they, they, they want me to fight them. But at the end of the day, they're being obedient to their God. I'm going to be obedient to mine. Amen. Amen. Any other thoughts? This is good. Amen. Okay. Moving on. Verse 3 then. Verse 3. He says, all of us used to live that way, following those passionate desires, those cravings of our flesh, right? The inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. So we were deserving of God's wrath because of our sinful nature. So let's, let's just call it what it is. I have so many people try to tell me, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament because the God of the New Testament is full of love, but the God of the Old Testament is full of wrath. Clearly, you don't understand uh, that God still had a lot of wrath, <laughs> and he will still take out his wrath on the unbelieving, on the sinful, on those who live according to the desires of their flesh. Uh, 
and this is what we realize about, the, he's the same God, okay? He doesn't change. Sin still makes him angry. What he wants, though, ultimately, is what we're going to get to here in just a moment. So I don't want to jump the gun here, okay, because it's going to get really good for us. But the, the revelation here is he's angry at what sin does to the greatest of his creation. He loves us more than anything. That, that's, that's revealed in both covenants. What we begin to see, though, is according to the old covenant that was just the illumination of the new covenant is God is angry at the destructive power of sin. And what do we allow ourselves to do every time we, 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 we choose sin? Are we choosing God's wrath once again upon our lives? Are we choosing to make him angry once again when we prefer our sin over, over pursuing righteousness? So I just real quick, I want to put this out to, to anyone in the room. Because uh, we all used to live this way. We, all of us. We had this passion, desire. We had inclinations of our, of our sinful nature. Um, anyone maybe have a testimony about a time where you felt the wrath of God because of how you were living and you knew, okay, maybe, just, maybe this isn't what, how I should be living my life. Maybe this isn't the, uh, the, the right fit for me. There's, a, there's another way that I, I need to live. And maybe we're talking about what you came to know Christ and you ultimately, oh, you know what, I probably shouldn't be living this way anymore because I'm, I'm sensing uh, God probably isn't pleased with what's happening. Maybe a little bit of anger from God. Any, any thoughts at all about that? I have a... Uh, after... As I was sinful, before I came to Christ, in... Uh, well, no, let me just put it this way. When I was saved, and the more I learned about the Bible, the more I yes. learned about God, there was this hole in my soul that was huge. And the more, and now it's like, I feel like it'll always be there. I don't know, maybe a reminder or something, but it's this little pinprick now. Okay. And, uh... Like, a, like conviction in some level? I just reminded where you were. Yes. Yes. Okay. Reminder, Amen. Yes. Okay. Amen. A reminder of where I was. Okay. Yes, yes. ma'am. And thank God for that. Thank God. At, at, at a time when uh, when you were experiencing probably the wrath of God <laughs> at a different season in your yes, life. Absolutely. Now, I, I, maybe we should clarify here. God isn't angry with us. Okay. He loves us. Okay. Yeah. I want to clarify that. But wrath has to be taken out on sin. It has to. Okay. Because it, it is destructive. And God hates anything that destroys our lives. That destroys our purpose. And so the wrath of God absolutely will come against our sinful nature. Okay, and, and when we talk about sinful nature, we're not even giving Satan any credit. This is me. This is my desire. This is what I want. This is what the flesh is, is, is hungry for. But we see that the wrath of God was, is going to continue to be poured out on, on the unbelieving. Um, any other thoughts about that? Thank you, Mama. Any other thoughts? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah really quick. Like, so um, after I started going to church, um, I don't want to say I was considered to be saved. But, you know, up until my marriage date, I was still smoking, drinking, you know, doing what I was doing. And like you said, it was a, a loving anger, though. Yeah. It wasn't like condemning anger to me, but it was like, hey, you know, like, what are you going to do now? Like, yes, sir. You know, like, it was, I didn't, like I said, it was so loving that I did feel like it was convicting, not condemning. Amen. So part of Michael's testimony uh, is he will, he's, I appreciate his candor about this. Is he's like, hey, look, you know, the day I got married, I was, you know, I was up to that point. I was doing some things I shouldn't be doing. Three o'clock in the morning. Three o'clock in the morning. You know, sniffing some stuff I shouldn't be sniffing. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and, and yet, I, I appreciate what he's, his, your honesty about this, sir, because there are so many Christians that even to this day are struggling. 
with certain things. They're, they're caught in a cycle and they don't know how to get out of it. And, and I think for all of us, we sense that, man, this, this can't please God in any form or fashion. He doesn't want me to be doing these things and thinking these things and saying these things and going these places. And, and yet there's a, there's a love attached to that as well that is wanting to pull me out of this. And, and so uh, I'm going to jump the gun here a little bit because verse four is really the, uh, the, the shift in this conversation, right? I never want to downplay sin. I never want to, because sin has its destructive power. It does. It is just... The only thing it knows how to do is destroy. Okay, it, it can package itself real pretty. It can be fun. I think we all know what that's like to, to live in a season of, of, of fun because sin has its, its elements of desire and, and, and draws us. But at the end of the day, the only thing it can produce is death and destruction in our lives because that's, that's, that's the seed of it. That's the, the harvest, if you will. Uh, the seed was desire, but the, the harvest is destruction. And that's how sin works. And so here we see this. Uh, uh, we were deserving of God's wrath. Okay, look at, but look at verse 4. Here's where it begins to shift. And this is where it gets really good for us as believers. But God. Someone say, but God. Okay, that's what, but God is so rich in mercy. Or his great love for us, right? Uh, he loves us so much. I mean, this verse right here just begins to shift everything. Okay, what, what is the reason for for? for my salvation? What is the reason I can overcome the desire of the flesh? What is the reason that I don't have to live according to the sinful nature? But God, God is the reason that I can overcome all the desires of my flesh. God is the reason I don't have to be hell-bent on living according to what the sinful nature wants. God is the reason I get to get out of hell. Okay? His great love for me, his great mercy for me. So this verse right here is 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 one of those, uh, the, I, we call them a conjunction, right? The buts are the ends, right? Well, all of a sudden, things begin to shift. It's almost like when someone says, they give you a compliment, right? They're telling you, oh, oh, Pastor Bethel, you're so amazing. You're so, you're such a genius. You're so handsome. But, as soon as you hear the but, it's like, did you just negate everything else you just told me in this moment? Here, here we see all these things about our sinful nature, but God. We're not negating the power of sin. We're just showing something greater. Okay, this is what Paul's revealing to something greater. His great love for us. His great mercy towards us. Uh, I guess we could camp here the rest of the night and just and just talk about his rich mercy. But if if you're a recipient of the, the great mercy and great love of God, just throw some amen in, in, in that chat right there. In this room right here, just say, thank you, Lord. For that, that great mercy that's been given to us. Verse 5. Even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead, or he made us alive with Christ. Okay, literally, he brought us back. It's only by God's grace you have been saved. All right, so here's where we begin to just shift the entire focus of my sinful nature and his desires, but now God's desire for me to be raised from the dead, to come back from my, 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 my dead nature. And, and again, how, how does this happen? I desire sin. Sin destroys me. How do I desire life? I, I, I can't get to that point of my own good works, of my, of my own desire, of, of, of my own religiosity. I cannot in all things be good. And I, and I, I feel like I need to, to point this out when we see this. We are made alive with Christ. I think is how most translations say it. Okay? Dead in our sin, but made alive in Christ. So, so here's what I see about, about Christ, Pastor Bethel. Jesus, isn't, Jesus didn't show up to make me good. Jesus showed it to make me alive. Yeah. <laughs> that, I think most religion makes us feel like I, I got to be good. I got to do good. When you come to find Christ, 
you actually find life. I, I, I come alive. And so what happens when I'm alive is I don't even have a desire for those dead things anymore. This is not about my behavior. This is about what he has done for me. And I believe I'm alive in Christ. Therefore, I'm a new creation. Things have shifted in my life. And I, and I, I begin to feel this desire shift within me as well. I want to do the things that please God. I don't, I don't need to live according to the, the destructive nature of my, my sinful flesh. So it's by God's grace that I have been saved. Yeah. Now, when you read that verse, and we're going to see it again here in, in verse 8, but when you read that, what comes to mind? Anybody just kind of let me know. What comes to mind when you, when you see these words, it's by God's grace, only by God's grace that you have been saved? What, what comes to mind? Anyone in the room? You know what? I'm sorry, I've talked so much. But, Good. Uh, I've heard, I don't know what you said, but it's like, said, I'm not a butcher, but they treated, they treated Jesus as, God treated Jesus as us, as a sinner. Yes. So that way he could treat us as, as Jesus. Amen, sir. Amen. Michael, Michael's taking a, a profound theological standpoint on this and letting us know God treated Jesus as us so he could treat us as Jesus. That's simply what it is. And that's the truth. That, that is the, the truth. Jesus took my, my sin, my shame, my, my cross, so that I could take his righteousness, his life, his authority. So that's the exchange. We call it the great exchange in theological terms. And like yes, you said, when we realize that, that finally hits us, like, man, it's like, he did all that for me. So, I mean, for, for me, that was another turning point for me. Like, yes, sir. And like, you really did that all that for me. Yes, sir. And I did all that to you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I said, you're not Barabbas, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. I just want to say that um, the freedom hmm. that I have now as a Christian, as a believer, I remember before I was saved, a long time ago, before I was saved, before I even thought about being saved, the thought of being a Christian and following the Bible, that was so boring, that there's no freedom, <laughs> but that's just the opposite. Absolutely. And I, I pray that, I hope that for everybody that doesn't know this freedom that, that the Bible gives us, Amen. you know, following the word. The, the freedom that comes from... Freedom comes from, I don't have to do any of those things anymore. <laughs> I can live under Christ. Yeah. This is, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. This actually is liberty right here. Mm -hmm. To be free from the entanglements of sin. To be, as Miss Vitti said, to be free from the control. To be, I, I'm a slave to sin in my old life. I'm free from that now. This is so much, this is so much more liberating than just doing whatever I want. That's, uh, that's anarchy. Uh, th this is freedom. Okay? And, and, and I love that freedom that we, that we experience when we come to Christ. So amen to that. Any other thoughts about, please, Pastor Bethel. You know, Pastor, I think that, that it is that freedom that allows us to actually, the understanding of that freedom that allows us to live free. Yes, say, sir. For example, as much as I would like to say that I've been perfect ever since I uh, came to know the Lord. You were close. That, yeah, close. <laughs> but see, the thing is, is that when you're free, you learn that you are free by the grace of God, yeah. right? Amen. You, you know that, yes, you, you can be convicted by the, by, you know, by, by the Holy Spirit when you do something wrong, but you know that you don't have to be condemned to stay in that particular. Amen. You know, I remember before I came, you know, came to the Lord, right? You know, I grew up in the church and, and so on and so forth. 
and being from a place of weakness, right, where you knew that certain doing certain things were not right, and saying, Lord, please, please, you know, I don't want to do it again, and next thing you know, you find yourself doing it, and, and it almost seems like the condemnation drags you down deeper into yes. whatever it is that you're, you're into, whereas when you know that you have the freedom, it allows you just to really, like, shake yourself off, yes. and say, okay, I'm a new creation, yes. I tripped up, I fell, but that does not define who I am. Amen. And, and you're able to say, I am free. I'm going to continue uh, to live as a free man. Yes. And, uh, and you continue moving forward. So I do believe that the freedom allows you to know that you can live a free life. Amen. And uh, just those momentary lapses are just that, momentary lapses. Yes. That allows you to move forward and uh, live a, a true free life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo, well said. So, Pastor Brother, looking at this verse, the we've been saved by by grace okay the this term grace and i, I know in christian we throw it around a lot but what does grace mean to you what, what, come on jess yeah don't deserve it. that's what unmerited favor. unmerited favor it kind of is the the definition of what grace is pastor olga said something we don't deserve at all okay um this generation baffles me sometimes when they feel like i deserve this and i deserve that and I, I, what what have you done to earn it? Okay. <laughs> what do you mean you deserve it? And, and, and it's really, I feel like it's so prevalent in these last days. I, I, deserve, uh, I deserve this to be treated this way. I, I deserve to, to, to have this in my life. Why? Who, who says so? You? You're the definition of that? We deserve hell. We deserve destruction. We deserve eternal damnation. That's what we deserve. But God so loved us. He's so rich in mercy, so great in love for us, that he, he gave us something that really is almost obscure in the Old Testament. They understand his mercy. You don't, don't really see this term at all called grace in the Old Covenant. I didn't deserve this, and yet I still have it. Hey, if there's anything that should get you dancing on a Sunday is when you just pause for a moment and just say, I deserved hell. I deserved anger. I deserved wrath, and I've got grace instead. I'm going to take a moment and just praise the Lord okay, for, for receiving something I didn't deserve. Okay? And that's what this is. It's by his grace that we have been saved. So uh, the next verse I could preach the rest of the evening, but I won't. But I just want to real quick. Okay? He raised us up with Christ. Pastor Bethel, can you do me a quick favor? Can you go back to chapter 1 and read me verses 19, 20, and I think 21. Just read them to me real quick. All right. And he's in comparably great power for us who believe that power is like working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Yes. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. Okay, let's pause right there. Before I get ready to read what, in, what we see in Ephesians 2, I just want you to see in Ephesians 1 what God did. God in his great power, okay, he raised Jesus from the dead. Not just that, though, but then he seated him in heavenly places at his very right hand. It means at his place of power, his place of authority. That's what God did for Christ. This is why Jesus is not another religious figure. This is why he's not just another good moral teacher. He is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, and he is now seated in the power of God, at the right hand of God, with all authority under his feet. And so, I want you to see that because where Christ is seated, because now let's look at Ephesians 2, 6 together again, one more time. He raised us up with Christ, and, and, and how, wait, how does that read there? Um, and he has seated us. Okay, We were raised from the dead, and then he seated us with Christ in heavenly realms because we are united in Christ. So what he did for us, literally, is, is he took us, not just from the, from, from the dead, okay, but then he, he placed us somewhere 
where, where now we're far above all these problems and these, and these sicknesses and these pains and, and these temptations of the flesh. That's where we're located, okay? That, that, that's our location. That's, a, that's our, our, our position, if you will. It's almost like understanding I have my condition and then I have my position, okay? I've got my pain and my sickness and my sorrow, but I've got my position seated above all of this with Christ Jesus. And that's really the point of what Paul is wanting us to catch right here. I was dead, but I was raised up. And then I was seated down. It's, it's, it's so cool how this works. Raised up to be sat. Okay, raised from the dead to be sat down in a, in a, in a place of, of honor, a place of authority. What you know about, about judges, okay, the reason they're not running around and acting foolish is because they're seated in a place of authority, okay? The, 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 the seats of authority that we think when we think of Congress or when we think of uh, the Oval Office, right? I'm seated in a position of authority. I'm not panicking. I'm not freaking out. I'm not, I'm not running around looking for answers. I'm seated in a position of authority. And that's the whole reason that God raises us from the dead is because he, he raises us up not just to, get, to be free from our sin. He raises us up to be above all the things of, that the enemy is trying to throw at us, all the things that our, our, our flesh desires. And so I, I love this idea of being seated. And it really is, it becomes a, a position of even dependence. Okay, I'm sitting in, in Pastor Bethel's uh, chair that, uh, that annoys Pastor Olga when I'm, and I'm just having a good time. Uh, but, but you know what I haven't done one time that I've been annoying her? I have not worried if this thing is going to continue to hold me. I'm dependent that it's going to stay right where it is and I'm going to stay seated the entire time. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. We are seated with Christ, in Christ. He's the one I depend on. He's the one I lean on. I can trust him completely. He's never going to fall. He's never going to collapse. I don't even think anymore about how much I trust him because my hope is in him. My faith is in him and I'm good to go. I'm seated in a place of dependence upon Christ and I'm not, I don't have anything to worry about. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, that place where your faith comes to a, a, a total dependence. I, I don't even worry anymore. I don't even freak out anymore. I realize he's, he's got me. He continues to protect me. So he raised me up with Christ okay, is, is the point here. And then he seated me along with Christ in the heavenly realms. So what am I now? I, I'm basically, uh, I'm a joint heir. I'm a co-heir with Christ. Everything he gets, I get. Everything that God, God the Father said was his is now also mine. And so this is the importance of understanding this, these verses here that I've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Anybody got any other thoughts about that or anything that jumps out at you when you kind of see that, that idea of being seated with Christ? Anything at all? I just, it, it reminded me of Melchizedek. Okay, yes ma'am. Yep. Is it Melchizedek? Yeah, Melchizedek, Melchizedek, yeah, sure. Whatever you want to call him. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you're talking about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, yeah, Mephibosheth, a different Hebrew name, yes, Mephibosheth. This was Jonathan's uh, son that was dropped by his, his nurse when, uh, when Saul was dead and Jonathan's dead, and so his, his nurse basically was running for her life because, you know, hey, once the king's dead, that means he's going to come for his offspring, and she drops him, and he's crippled. Please, we go, Ms. Beattie. No, no, but it's just, I remember the first time I read that story, and just got revealing to me that that's, that's Everybody who's lost, hmm. we're broken, yes, without hope, left to die, without yes. an inheritance, yes. nothing apart from God, but because of His mercy, yes. being brought back, Amen. and seated at the King's table, and He restored everything that was Jonathan's, so that yes. He could live the life that He was supposed to live, everything Oof. that 
he had lost. Like he didn't have to live as a Amen. cripple. That was I remember reading that and just having that understanding from God. This this is this was you. Yes. But you have a seat at the king's table and you are mine mm. and you have everything that was rightfully yours from the foundations again, everything that was lost Hallelujah. brought back restored. That I mean, Jesus came to save and to restore that which was lost. Yes, Not only our identity, but the inheritance that we had in that garden of Eden. Ooh, Miss Vidi's preaching. Mm -hmm. The idea behind the chef, uh, if you're not familiar with the story, is as he's dropped. I think he's five years old. He's dropped. His legs uh, no longer grow. Okay, he's basically an adult with like smile. <laughs> okay, he's broken. He can't really walk. He's a cripple. And at the end of the day. While he's in hiding, David says, because he's the king now, he says, is there anyone from Jonathan's family that I can show kindness to? And they, they tell him about Mephibosheth. And what he does is he brings Mephibosheth into his own home, seated at his own table, allowing him to take on a position that, you know, he didn't deserve. He, that was taken from him. And there he is seated at the king's table, having partaking of the king's food, enjoying all the pleasures of royalty that were kind of taken from him. So yes, it speaks to both the inheritance that he lost and the identity that he lost and how the king invited him back in. And that's exactly what our great God has done for us. The king of kings invited us back and he seated us in this place that we don't deserve. Well said, Ms. Vidi. That's like 2 Kings, I believe. Forgive me, I don't remember what reference it is, but it's 2 Kings. It's a profound, I'm sure Pastor Bethel can find a force real quick. You don't mind, man of God. Just, I believe it's 2 Kings. All right. Um, but yes, that's, that's where that is in terms of we are seated with Christ. That's such a beautiful um, picture, Ms. Vidi, of, of, of what it means to be seated with Jesus. So keep going. Uh, verse 7. So why are we seated? Okay, so that God can point to us to all future generations. We're basically an example. Okay, of his incredible wealth, his incomparable riches, the wealth of his grace, the kindness he has shown towards us uh, as he has shown to anyone who is united in Christ Jesus. We're going to keep seeing this term time and time again, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Um, I, I, I can't remember how many times Paul says it in the book of Ephesians alone, but he's wanting us to see that we can either be in the flesh or we can be in Christ. Yeah. And it's in Christ that all these things are available to us. Okay. Any questions about this verse here? Any thoughts about this verse? We'll continue on verse 7. Okay. Verse 8. Here we go. And this is, if you're going to get anything tattooed on your ankle, here you go. All right. <laughs> it is by grace you have been saved. Okay. Through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is the gift of God. Okay. It is God's grace that has saved me through Faith, and so I, I want to make sure that we understand the the clarity here that uh, that is being brought about. And when you any any thoughts come to mind when anyone reads this verse, it, it really is the this right here was kind of the uh, the bit of illumination, um, if you will, for uh, the Protestant movement that began to happen um, as. Catholics really kind of defined, and really the Catholic Church was the prominent and really the only uh, form of Christendom that existed in the majority of human history. But as a man named Martin Luther began to get this understanding of being justified by faith, okay, uh, that he read in the book of Romans and that he saw here in Ephesians, he's like, wait a second. It isn't the church that, that justifies me. It's not penance that justifies me. It isn't my good works 
that justify me. It is grace through faith, something that I don't deserve, but yet I believe it is there. So any of the thoughts that come to mind when you, when you see this verse, because this really kind of set the tone for why even we're gathered here right now, if you will. And I don't identify as a Protestant. I identify as a, as a, as a believer in Jesus. But, uh, but would we be having the same kind of conversations if we were all still just putting our faith in maybe the, the church will save me, re uh, repenting to a priest will save me, paying penance will save me, or is it the grace of God that has saved me through faith as Paul understood 2,000 years ago? Any other thoughts about this? Which one? Yeah, go ahead, yeah. It's your home. No, but what you just said about, like, it's not something that we gain, it's something that we receive. Amen. And grace allows us not only to receive that gift, but it's like anybody could give you a gift and you not, like, you take it here, but never, you put it in a corner somewhere. Mm. You know, let's say it's a garment. You take it and you just put it over there and you decide, thank you, I receive it, but you leave it over there. And I think that the gift of God is much like that. We can receive that gift and yes. be saved, but never become who we are supposed to become. Wow. Wow. Because believers, becoming is putting on that garment there you go. and wearing it and saying, this is who I am Amen. now. It's not about works, like you said. We're not gaining anything. It was a gift. We put it on. Yes. We're growing to it. Okay? Yes. Yes. Because when we first put it on, it, it, it fits really big. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, the expectation. This is high expectation. We, we are mm. to be Christ-like. And we sure. are at infants, but just like Joseph, he was given a beautiful robe to wear. Yeah. It was at that moment when he got it, maybe he wasn't everything sure. for that role. But one day as a king, as the pharaoh, as every, like he grew into it. Amen. You know, into those yeah. dreams that he had. Amen. Maybe he wasn't there, but he grew into them. Yes. He became who he dreamed that he was. And I, mm -hmm. I feel like as children of God, God has given us all these promises as his children. Some, a lot to become. Come on. But we put it in the corner. We're just content with salvation, but we never get transformed and we never become the sons and daughters we are supposed to be. Oof. And so I think that grace is it's good that we receive that gift, but let's wear it. Come on. Let's grow into it. Come on. I should put Miss Vidi in front of this microphone. Come on, preacher. Amen. Amen. I am growing in grace. I am. At whatever point in time we came to Christ, we're growing in it. We'll begin to understand what it really means to wear it like a garment. Well said, Ms. Vidi. So it is by grace we have been saved through faith. Okay. So again, there's my part in it. I believe. I just believe. I put my faith in this. So, it, so I didn't earn it, but I, I believe it. And it is a gift uh, of God. And verse 9. Um, it's not by works, right? And so why is it not by works? Here we go. Here we go. Why is it not by works? It's, it's not a reward for the good things I've done so that no one can boast. All right? I, I, I just tend to do this as an illustration. I don't mean anything by this, okay? 
I was born in church, <laughs> uh, raised in church. My first home was the basement of a church. They brought me home from the hospital after six days because I had jaundice, okay? And literally, I lived in the basement of a church. That was my home. When people talk about cutting their teeth on pews, what do you think I did in my downtime, okay? <laughs> that, that's what I, I, I did. I was raised in church. I, I made my share of mistakes, but I never fell headlong into things that uh, some of you can testify about. I never got caught up in that stuff. That was just not my testimony. So if we were comparing righteousness, goodness, the things that we've done, my goodness, I can feel, feel like Paul sometimes, be like, all these great things I've done and kept the law and all these accolades I've achieved and earned. And if I was the comparison to some of you, you'd be like, well, there's no hope for me because I wasn't born in church. I wasn't raised in church. I wasn't a pastor's kid. I, I, I stumbled. I fell. I made serious mistakes. I loved my sin. I lived it. I reveled in it. If I was the comparison, if I was the standard, I could boast. I'm not saved by the things I've done. I am saved by his grace alone. That has leveled the playing field completely. Okay, You and I, we were on the same level when it comes to the holy, righteous God. He's the standard, not me. He's the one, ultimately, that I look to and say, I can't live up to who you are, but by your grace, through my faith, you have saved me. So I've got nothing to boast about, okay? Anyone else like me that got a reason to boast? I mean, Nadia was kind of raised the same way I was, so she can maybe boast a little bit, okay? <laughs> In some form. Okay. Uh, but, but then realize it as well. Shoot, I needed a Savior just as much. I, I needed Him just as desperately. So I, I, just, I, I love this verse. That we have no reason to boast whatsoever. So when you get around prideful Christians, boastful people, just be like, just what are you boasting about, okay? If you're going to boast, boast in Jesus. Don't, don't boast in your own accolades, your own righteousness. Okay? It can't get you to heaven anyway. Any other thoughts about that? Okay. All right. Yes, ma'am, please. Sorry. Um, Welcome to the conversation, Ms. Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, okay. I have a lot. I'm sorry. Good. But, um, no, it, it brings me to uh, where it says, you know, that uh, it's not a result of our works. And um, yes. it brings me a lot to Isaiah 64, 6. Hmm. which says all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Uh -huh. so even then you know like um and, that, and that's where grace comes and yes that's where we even have to have grace for ourselves um i was in a season say that again Ms. Rana. say that again grace uh, for who <laughs> for ourselves come on now okay <laughs> um i was in a season where um I was not giving myself grace, or at least I was not accepting the grace that God was giving me. Mm. Uh, where, oh, today, you know, I didn't read my Bible. Oh my gosh, I didn't remember. And I was beating myself about it. Or, oh, today I didn't, you know, go to the life. Or, oh, today, and, and I was just beating myself about it, you know. Mm -hmm. But God was still there saying, it's okay, you know, just try again. There's a, there's a new mercy every day. Amen. But I was not giving myself grace. And, um, you know, and then the Lord, you know, spoke to me once I allowed myself to hear him. And, <laughs> you know, and that's Amen. exactly where it, it brought me, you know, um, grace that it's not by my words that I can try so many times and I can beat myself up for it. Yes. But it's his grace, you know, and it's just falling at his feet and, and just getting back up and, you know, um, if I was able to come today, you know, praise God, and you know, and I'm here, and if I'm able to reach out to someone, to pray for someone, you know, and it's it's by Him. You yes. Know? So Amen. We have to have grace, you know, receive that grace and give ourselves grace. Amen. 
I think in a lot of Christendom, and many could probably attest to this, um, and I don't know if we always do it purposely, but, but we can be so condemning and judgmental and and really just look down on people for sometimes the dumbest things i'm not talking about oh you was out fornicating last night no i mean just like you were late to church and, and we, then we just make people feel so terrible and it's like, wait a second hold up if not for the grace of god i would have made it on time either right so uh, so we all need we all need that grace and and, and i think this is for the revelation in this these last days is I need to give myself the same thing God has given me. Yeah. He's given me grace. I've got to give it to myself. Because I, it, all it does is humble me and remind me I didn't get here of my own good works. I didn't save myself. It was His grace that did this. Amen. So the more that we give grace, I believe the more we're going to feel grace, the more we're going to extend grace. Yes, it's such a profound point you made, Ms. Brenda. Thank you for that. We, give yourself grace. Yes, yes. go ahead, Mom. Yeah, I, I just, that's, that's it, it, you know, if, you're, if I'm feeling guilty about something or feeling that I should have done just like Brenda said, should have done this, should have, then I'm like, wait, yeah. I don't have to go there. Yeah, amen. God has me. Amen. You know, he knows who I am. He knows, you know, I'll try again tomorrow. I'll try again there in we five go. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> amen. 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 Yes, sir, please. Welcome to the conversation, Eric. You're welcome, sir. Yeah. Okay, so I got to put them together. Okay. Eight and nine. Because yeah. I look at, you cannot take credit for this. Yes, sir. It's a group project. Okay. The problem is nice. that God already did the project for you. Come on, I preacher. Think done. He already knows the beginning, the middle, the end. Yes, sir. He's already done it. But then the reward, we are not getting rewarded. It is God is rewarding by watching how we grow. Hey, okay. And how we I like evolve. It. I like it. So that's the way I look at it as, you know, and we're not boasting. Yes, sir. God's boasting about us. Come on. Uh, done for us. What we're looking forward to going moving on. Ooh. Which plays right into verse 10, sir. Look at verse 10. We are God's masterpiece. Come on. God is boasting about you, Eric. He's boasting about the growth in your own lives. So if you were to listen to Eric a year ago compared to now, come on. You know God is happy with that growth in that man's life. Okay? And, and, and he's happy with you. Michael, he's, he's happy with you with the growth in your life from the time that Pastor Bethel got saved and was holy from day one and has almost been holy every day since <laughs> but God is happy with Pastor Bethel absolutely I, I feel like we give God reason to boast yeah. when, we, when we remain humble and, and just live in his grace and give ourselves that grace that we need that God becomes all the more just like yes and we we're the reward of, of, of his plan, of his purpose. And this is what he wanted all along for us to be his people and he to be our God. So, well said, sir. I agree with that. So, you're his handiwork or his masterpiece. I think the only translation that says masterpiece is the NLT. Okay? His masterpiece. I think of uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Okay? Of all, of all the works that he did, he only completed 15, I think, is what I remember historically. And probably the masterpiece we think of is... Uh, the the uh, Mona Lisa. Right? His, 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 which one? I mean, it could absolutely be, but that's Michelangelo. <laughs> that's probably Michelangelo's masterpiece. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, but okay, so the even better, even better. Forget, forget Mona Lisa. The Sistine Chapel and, 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 the, and the masterpiece that that is and, and how it tells so much of the Bible story on the ceiling of that church. And, and the idea is, is simply that's, we think of that, we think it's Michelangelo's masterpiece. Well, let's not say David. Let's say, you know, the sculpture of David, let's say the Sistine Chapel. You are God's Sistine Chapel, if you will. Okay, that's what you are, and this is what He, what He wants you to begin to see about yourself. Okay, you're not 
You're not just barely making it. You're not just uh, uh, an afterthought in his mind. You're his masterpiece. Right? And he loves you this much. So, what, so here's now what begins to happen. When I realize who I am, the identity, the authority, the inheritance of, who, of what I have, he's created me anew or in Christ Jesus. So here it is. So that we can do the good works he already planned for us in advance. Okay, The, the, the things that God had set in motion. Here's where I think we just want to bring a, a clear definition for Christendom. Do I do good works? because I'm saved or am I saved and therefore because of my salvation I do good works okay. am I doing these good things to earn God's favor to earn God's love to earn my place or because I'm saved because I have a place because I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places because I'm so deeply loved because I've got this great mercy out of that I can't help but do good works I think the people who do the most for the kingdom they love it because they, they, I don't even deserve this, okay? The reason that, that Ms. Vitti and Pastor Bechtel and Pastor Olga and, and Reverend Karina, the reason they can do a thousand things on a Sunday with a smile on their face, okay, without getting stressed for the most part, okay, is because it's coming from a place of, I am saved by the grace of God, and I can't help but turn around and just love others and, and do the work of the kingdom because of all the, the love and the grace I've received. So y'all want to speak to that? I kind of highlighted those four people. That's kind of everyone in the room, all right? There, there's a reason why Emmanuel drives over an hour. Uh, okay, they drive over an hour, okay? Be, do they do that because they feel like they have to or because out of the, the overflow of, of the grace and the love of God they receive, they just kind of, hey, man, I, I want to do this. I can't, these are the good works that come from being saved. So any thoughts about that? Go ahead, Pastor Olga. Um, just Welcome to the conversation, Pastor Olga, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. When I, when I read that text, I'm reminded of like, you know, those of us, well, everybody is creative and you create stuff or you cook something or you work on a project and it has purpose and, and there's a plan for it and you're like proud of it um, if you do a good job. But it just reminds me like we have so much purpose and so, so many people who walk around, you know, like without purpose or without knowing um, like why am I here or it was a mistake or blah, 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 you know, especially young people. It's like, it right. reminds us that there's there's purpose, like he created us, and it says, Jesus, uh, to do good works, and got prepared in advance for us to do. So he's got a plan and a yes. purpose. And so people ever walk around thinking, ah, uh, you know, there's no purpose for me, or I'm worthless. Like, you know, this is proof that there's so much purpose to each one of our lives, no matter where we're at in our lives. Amen. So. Amen. Right on. God has already planned for good, th good things for me to do, good things for you to do. It's part of the plan. As I begin to understand that grace and give myself that grace, I get to fulfill the plan. So, any other thoughts about verse 2? Yeah, you know, That's I right. think uh, sometimes... Verse 10, uh, sorry. <laughs> when we're thinking about that, sometimes we think about, you know, what motivates us to be able to do those things, right? Hmm. And in reality, there really shouldn't be motivation. We ought to do all these things out of love, right? In understanding what God has done for us, right? And that really, love really should be the motivator, right? Yes. Not like, hey, I'm going to... Win God's grace, or I'm yes. not seeing good in other people's right. When we serve, the different things that we do is simply just out of love. Right? Yes, sir. That really should be the only motivation, not not anything else, right? Amen to that. I think Pastor Beth could probably speak this better than anybody. Understanding good Catholic guilt, right? That uh, that a lot of times the motivation to do certain things was because I felt the guilt, the condemnation, the this is what I'm supposed to do. But the overflow of God's love that I experienced when I realized. 
there's nothing I can do. Okay? But I'm so full of his love right now that it's from that, that I want to meet needs. I, I want to help those around me. I want to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I, I want to serve in the kingdom. It's out of the overflow of that love. Amen, man of God. Thank you for that. Any other thoughts about these first 10 verses? Yeah, go, all right, Nadia. Welcome to the conversation. Nadia, go ahead. Ms. Nadia. <laughs> I was just to say, like, um, I feel like for me, like, when I had, like, a transformation and, like, when I felt, like, the freedom, like, hmm. from God, like, I wanted everyone else to experience that same freedom. So, like, that's yes. why I wanted to, like, pour out into, like, everyone else around me because it's, like, I want them to like experience like what I did. Ooh. And Nadia started a, a Bible study there uh, on the campus at Olivet um, because out of the overflow of the freedom and the grace and the love you've received, you, you want that for others. And, all of and how, many, how many ladies were kind of attending that towards the end? Um, like 30. 30 ladies attending that, including some who weren't even Christians, right? But they were from your life experiencing the overflow of God's grace and love on your life. Amen to that. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for that night. All right, so look here. We are at, uh, we're 10 verses in, and it's about my time to close down. So <laughs> we've still got an entire rest of the chapter. So what I want to do real quick is I just kind of want to read verses um, 11 through the end here of this and then just give you some, some things to think about, okay? Because this really applies to... Um, Every one of us in the room. Any any Jews in the room? A chance? Any any of Jewish descent? I uh, have Jewish blood. Do you, Miss Vidi? Yeah. That, that's knowledge. Pastor Bethel, were you aware of that? Okay. She's like a, a point zero 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 zero. Okay. What <laughs> percent? They're Jewish. Okay. Hallelujah. Well, I and as far as I know, I've got zero. Okay. As far as I know. Um, but to that end, there's a distinction that we're going to real, real quick, and this was a, a very hostile distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Therefore, or don't forget that you Gentiles, sorry, this is the NLT, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders, okay, by birth, right? We were called the uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision. Religious people are always proud. You run around, you, you get around proud people, they're just, I'm just letting you know what they are. They're proud of their religion. They're proud of their accomplishments, okay? Those who are humble are proud of what God has done for them and, and they're going to boast in Christ. Okay? Uh, they were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies but not their hearts, okay? So things that were done by human hands, the circumcision, please don't make me define that, okay? But, <laughs> but the idea just simply being the removal of the flesh, okay, by human hands but the heart was still hard. The heart was still evil. The heart was still corrupted. Okay, verse 12. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel because you were foreigners, right? That's basically were. You were people who did not know the covenant of the promises God had made. You lived in this world without God and without hope. So again, this was all of us. We were Gentiles outside of Miss Vidi and her, her small percentage. Okay? We were outside of this covenant, outside of, of those promises. Verse 13. But now you have been united or in Christ you were once far away. You've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You were far from God at one time, but because of the blood, you've been brought near. How was I brought near, Pastor Beto? Was it through my good works? Was it through going to church? Was it through keeping laws and traditions and customs? It was the blood of Jesus and only the blood that brought me near to God. And so, woo, right here, this is where we could just, we could take a moment and rejoice because not only did the blood bring me near, the blood also keeps Satan at bay. I overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of, the test, of my testimony. And so this right here is, is so profound. And I guess I want to ask this question before we kind of have to wrap all this up. But um, what's your biggest pet peeve? Someone give you, what's like your biggest pet peeve? Go ahead, sir. What's your biggest pet peeve? Oh, 
The biggest one is when someone leaves just a little bit of something in a container so they don't have to throw it away. Just enough to I can't even have a bowl of cereal. Okay. Because you left just enough. Or ice cream or something. Something. So always do it. Just finish it off and throw it away. Yeah. Why? Why tease me? Why? Uh, why? Why upset me with it? Absolutely, it's good. Anyone else? Get your pet peeves. Who? Michael's driving. Miss <laughs> Jessica said her husband's driving. It's her biggest pet peeve. It's her biggest pet peeve. <laughs> we'll, we'll let her explain that in her next Facebook post. Go ahead. Yeah. Yes, Pastor Olga. Biggest pet peeve. Bad customer service. Pastor Olga hates bad customer service, y'all. You don't, you don't even know how, like, like she goes from, from, from kind to just, like, violence in a, in a matter of moments. Bad customer service. Okay, biggest pet peeves. What else? Socks outside the, the laundry basket. Socks on the outside of the laundry basket. Like, any clothes or just socks? Yeah, everything. everything. <laughs> so close, so close to the laundry basket, but not there. Yeah. Uh, so, um, having, taking the clothes up and having, like, Especially pants, one inside out and one yes. not. Oh. Your biggest pet peeves with people wearing clothes. My wife. Uh. <laughs> 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 it's not a and It wasn't a grudge. It's a it's a comeback. It's a comeback. Yeah, okay. <laughs> come back. Your biggest pet peeve is when Jessica tucks a sock into her. Her jeans? She doesn't take the jeans off. Oh, 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 I got it. Inside out, it's oh, like, once the clothes are removed. Yeah. Okay, I got it, I got it, okay, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> got it, okay. Cheyenne's the biggest one, because I got two boys, okay. is when they don't aim and oh. they don't hit the toilet. <laughs> that, is a, that is a pet peeve for anybody who wants to clean a bathroom. It's like, come on, y'all. Then just sit down if you got to. Okay, I, I get that. Okay, Absolutely. I mean, those who have boys know exactly what we're talking about. Miss Vitti knows multiple boys in the house. Yeah, you understand. Any of, the, any of the pet peeves you don't have a problem and putting out there? drivers. Yes, ma'am. I am with People you. People that are this close to my back end. I can't, I can't stand it. Just go around me. <laughs> I'm humbled because I do something silly myself. Yes, ma'am. I'm like, yes, ma'am. I just condemn somebody for the same thing. <laughs> Is that so typical of us? Yes, yes, ma'am. We got some line line. We got some pet peeves online. Mariah said, uh, mine is feeding my kids a big dinner, and then one hour later, they're looking inside the fridge. <laughs> yeah. After you've worked hard on a meal, right? You've, I mean, you've labored. Or yeah. cereal after you make oh, yes. like they don't want yeah. it. <laughs> like, wait a second. Why should I keep feeding you then? Emmanuel, what's your biggest pet peeve, my friend? What's your biggest pet peeve? Yes. Welcome to the conversation, Emmanuel. You don't even have any. He's, he's relaxed. He doesn't get triggered by really. <laughs> he seems that way. He's like very chill. Like he seems relaxed. Yeah. yeah. Seems like a dinner. Like, yeah. Uh, just, just happy all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Just relaxed. If, if you have one, let us know, sir. Okay. But it, I, I agree with. It just doesn't look like you have any kind of pet peeves or problems at all in life. So you just. Yes, sir. <laughs> so my biggest pet peeve, oh, he's got a new one. Michael's got a second one. Go ahead, yes, sir. <laughs> that was a question. Uh, he was bearing a grudge online. You got it. Okay, yes, sir. I'm sorry. Is <laughs> um bad drivers. Bad drivers. It's like mama. Man, yeah, okay, absolutely, mama. Yeah, that's bad drivers. They chew really loud. People chew. They chew. Yes. So I guess, what's the reason that I'm asking about your pet peeves? Number one, because it's fun, okay? Number two, because when I, when I look at the, the, these differences, 
that we see between the Jews and the Gentiles outside of the covenant don't have the promise, uncircumcised. These things were like pet peeves to the Jews. We, they can't stand to be around the Gentiles in any form or fashion. And I guess, what do we do to get past our differences with other people? What do we do sometimes to get past those pet peeves that we have? Do you, are you going to do what Michael and Jessica are going to have to do tonight and have a long conversation when they get home? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> do you, yeah. What do we do to, to get past our differences? Because we keep seeing this term over and over again, united in Christ, one in Christ. How do we get past our differences? How is it that we can be a church, and, and this is the true of Impact Church, how could we be a church that is so diverse culturally, so diverse in terms of our skin tone, so diverse in our upbringings, sometimes so extremely diverse uh, in, our, in our education, so diverse in our, uh, even our, economically, how, how can we still come together? What, what does that? What brings us together? What makes us one in Christ? Any thoughts about that? Yes, please. Regarding that, I think it's the same thing that we talked earlier. Just the fact that we understand that each one of us are God's masterpiece. Yes. Workmanship, my Bible says. Yes, workmanship, masterpiece. That, like, a masterpiece, I mean, God could do it in an instant, change us, transform us. Yes. From, night, from one day to another, like my husband does that. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but uh, most, most of the time, he takes his time. Hmm. And, and so if, if we are able, again, to look at each other, you are a masterpiece, but you're not done. Amen. God is not done. Amen. God is not done with you. Amen. So those differences and things that may annoy us from one another, Oof. we're able to wow. say, you know what? You're a work in progress, Absolutely. and so I am. Hallelujah. Ms. Vitti is, is giving us divine revelation right now, ladies and gentlemen. Michael and Jessica, when you ride home right now, okay, take this revelation home with you. He's, he, he is still a masterpiece in the making, Jessica. Yeah. A, a, a masterpiece in the making. The grace, the grace that he needs. Yeah. That's exactly right. Don't, don't choke him out tonight, okay? Yeah. Even though you might want to. The, the idea for all of us is that, I think Ms. Vitti said it so beautifully, Beautifully, is that we recognize we're not done yet. Yeah, God is not done with this yet. And so I can see past certain differences. Okay, in, this, in this still kind of politically charged age, and it's a little calmer right now just because we really haven't hit the full stride yet of, of uh, the voting season. But come next year when, when, a, when the election cycle hits again, my God, Christians are going to be at each other's throats. Come on, don't be an idiot. Don't fall into the ploy and the plan of Satan to come at people who are Democrats or Republicans or Independent or, 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 or Green Party or No Party or, or don't even vote at all. Come on, somebody. Let's not get caught up in the world's way of doing things because the world loves to point out our differences in the body we, we, we want to celebrate is where we are different yet still united because of Jesus Christ amen yes sir so some of you guys know I am the PTA president at my children's school and our election is also next year okay. and we already have people saying oh, I'm going to run for this I'm going to do this I'm going to do that I can do things better than this person sure. blah 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 is already on the board and seeing that and knowing that you have to be able to not listen to the outside. Yes, sir. And just mm. focus on what you're doing and what God's plan is. Amen, sir. Amen. And that election cycle, don't get caught up in their banter and their and their you know their political disparaging and absolutely do what you do. Be who you are in Christ. Yes, ma'am. I feel like also like disagreement like 
like in the church, I feel like it has to deal with like a heart posture too. Oof. To, like, realize That's good. Why you're even like arguing in the first place, yes. mm-hmm. and like. Mm. Um, just like recognizing like your heart in the disagreement it's like that's not a God confusion so it's like mm. there's a right answer like in Christ so I think just to recognize that and then like take the focus off of yourself and like reading really God Wow. It's a heart posture, not he said. It really is. It is a heart posture. You know, I've been doing this a long time, okay? I have seen I have seen a lot of people fall away from God. I've seen a lot of people that were far from God come close to him. Okay, and and I have, in my, own, in my own heart, many times, I've had to check it many times, Nadia, especially when people are being stupid. <laughs> you know the truth. What are you doing? Why, why are you thinking this way? Why are you acting this way? What is, what is going on? But I have to check my heart constantly. Remind myself, A, I need the grace of God as well. And then B, ultimately, how, do, how am I going to help them out of this if I'm just judging them, if I'm, if I'm condemning them, if I'm not extending the grace that I have received as well? And so in those differences, because we have them, we're always going to have them until Christ comes and unites us eternally. It's always going to be difference, difference of opinion, difference of desire, uh, different way of voting. Okay, and the condemnation in the body of Christ. It, the reason we say it should have no place is because we have all, we have all, all of us fallen short of the grace of God. All of us have have stumbled and fall, all of us have have treated the, the blood of Jesus like it's worthless and, and trampled it under our feet like the writer of Hebrews says and so we when I recognize that you know, I'm just as capable of, of falling into sin uh, instead of condemning them I want to help redeem them and bring them back into the body of Christ amen so I won't belabor this much longer but ultimately look at verse 14 with me and I'll just kind of wrap it up here Christ himself has brought us peace or he is our peace how he made the two groups one you, the Jews and the Gentiles, he united them into one people. I love this next part. In his own body on the cross, okay? That's how he did it. How he, here's what he did. He broke down the wall of hostility, that dividing wall that separated us, okay? I think for those, um, and Mama, real quick, did, did you go to church growing up? No. Not at all, okay. No. Did you have family that did go to church? Yes. Did they, and I'm just saying this because I'm ignorant to this, did they attend an all-black church? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, Pastor Beto, in terms of like when you went to Catholic church, was it a Spanish-speaking service or English-speaking service? All Spanish-speaking. Okay. Were there any like real white or black people in that congregation at all? Okay. <laughs> all right. Growing up, I went to a, an all-white church. Okay. I went to an all-white church. Anybody else? Kind of just went to a, a okay, you know, all-white church. Okay. Yeah. Went to an all-black church. I'm, I'm assuming it was an all-white church there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so, okay. So, all Spanish. Okay. So, so. Here's where religion always gets it wrong. Always gets it wrong. It puts up walls to divide. It says that certain people are allowed in, other people have to stay away. What does Jesus do when he shows up? In his own body on the cross, he breaks down the wall of hostility that separated God's chosen people, the Jews, from all the rest of us. Gentile is really kind of a generic term to explain everyone who did not have the covenant. That was every Roman, every, everyone in Europe, everyone in Africa, everyone in, in, uh, in Asia, every one of them who did not have the covenant, we all fall into that 99 plus percentile of being Gentile. And so the Jews, this is why they felt so prideful because they were better. They were God's chosen people. And it, it caused them to be prideful and therefore hostile towards other people. Do you want to add to that, sir? Um, so having children or a child and not being married, 
in a Catholic church. They kind of didn't want us there. Never said it, but sure. treated us differently. Treated my son differently, treated myself differently. And then, actually this weekend, will be the first time that he'll ever be dedicated, baptized at your church. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. That's why we want all three of our kids together, because we couldn't find a church yeah. of any kind that would do it, because they would say, Catholic Church, well, we need both parents. Sure. Oh, uh, you guys were married. You need to be part of the church. Blah, sure. blah, blah, blah. But now we have a church that's willing to do it, no matter what the background Yes, you have a God that's willing to do that. That's the thing. And this is what I want to make clear to everybody. Because think of it, it doesn't just stop at our skin color. Those of you who were raised in certain denominations, you got a divorce, right? If you were having sex before marriage, you got pregnant. All of these things become points of condemnation because I can look down on you and be hostile towards you because you're, you're not living to my standard, okay? And, and I'm not saying it isn't sin. Absolutely, there are simple things happening. I'm simply saying, where is the grace of God to recognize that Jesus destroyed these things that separated us? Jesus did that, okay? It wasn't my good works. It wasn't my religiosity. It was Jesus that destroyed this hostile wall between us. So from that standpoint, I want everyone to hear me. I want to be clear about this. Don't live in sin. Don't, okay? But if you do stumble, I pray that there's a, a, somebody who loves Jesus enough that will be there to help you through it and help redeem you back. Because we should never be hostile towards people who are living in sin. We should be hostile towards Satan because he's our enemy. We should be hostile towards our own flesh because it, be, it is our biggest enemy. But to be hostile towards brothers and sisters in Christ, hostile towards people who are, who are learning, who are, who are growing into the garment, as Ms. Vitti said earlier. Hostile towards people who, who aren't as perfect as Pastor Beth. But come on, you just can't do that. You just... You, you, yeah, because at the, end of the, at the end of the day, Jesus taught us this. He said, whatever measure you use when you judge, the same measure will be used back to you. Okay? And so we just got to be real careful in, in, in this sense and, and just recognize, if not for the grace of God, there go I. I would be in the same hole. I'd be in the same struggle. I'd, amen. Amen. So when you're driving, Mama, and someone gets on your tail again, okay? <laughs> if, if, if but for the grace of God, I would be tailgating somebody right now, okay? <laughs> All right. All right. You should get those uh, stickers that say, do you follow Jesus, these clothes? Oh. Hey, I love it. I love it. Come to the back church. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we're gonna get to uh, some. So I love that idea. You follow Jesus close, Amen. Amen. I feel that way as well. So, all right. Before I wrap this up in, in prayer, because we have gone a little bit over our time, there's still obviously a good chunk of Ephesians too that we have not read here. But but really, what Paul is kind of doing is he's defining this this division that existed that now in Christ. We've been reconciled to one another. We now are, are unified. And, and that verse 14 talks about this. And here's what I just want you to see. If you're lacking peace, if Jesus is our peace, then maybe consider the reason you're lacking peace is because you're not unified to Christ and not unified to the body. Okay, Maybe there's some level of hostility still in your heart towards a brother and sister. Um, that is actually what it's doing is robbing you of your peace. Jesus is your peace, but Jesus destroys the hostility between us. And if I know anything in my life, the people who have wronged me and hurt me, when I've held on to it because I felt like I needed to, it actually robbed me of peace. And so to that end, I want us to all just come to this place tonight where God... 
I needed your grace. I need to give that grace as well. I, I need to extend that grace as well so that I can also come back to a place of peace and, and, and find it once again. I think we all can say amen to this. When I've forgiven, I actually find peace. When I've, when I've held on to it, I've imprisoned myself and therefore forfeited the peace in that season of my life. So, any other thoughts about that before we close in prayer? Yes, ma'am. Um, I was going to say something about like everything you read before. Yes, please. Well, I was gonna say I feel like the first section we read, like I feel like I saw that lift out like in a dream I had, okay. and like basically someone had died, and I was going to like their memorial service in in the dream, and someone had came up to me and they were like, "Why are you sad?" And I was like, well, "Because they died," and they're like, "Don't you know that there's hope for them?" And like I had woke up and the Holy Spirit was like, "Well, they had they had been dead in their transgression, transgressions yes. and their sins, but they like, they turned to God, they could be made alive in Christ." Amen. It's like they still have hope, even though they were dead to their sins. Like they still have hope to wow. be like made alive. And so I was just gonna say I, feel like I saw that like in action. <laughs> so to, so not it to anybody in your life. Anybody in your life, as long as there's still breath in their body, they may be dead in their sin, but there's breath in their body. There's hope that we can bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen, ma'am. Amen. Don't give up on anybody. Keep praying for them. Keep believing. I don't care what kind of hell they're living in right now and how and how they're acting and what they're doing. Okay, believe for their salvation. Amen. Yes, sir. Well, I kind of got a piggyback on that because now you're here instead of funeral or wake, you're celebration. Mm. Celebration of life. It is a celebration of what they've done. Sure. Not of the morning and everything you're going to miss of somebody. You're going to, it's a celebration of what they did and the impact they had on you. Yes, sir. Being God's ma uh, masterpiece, so that you are, okay? At the end of your life, yeah, I, I pray that people are, yeah, they celebrate, but I pray they're bawling because they miss me. I always, always tell me, like, I'll be, ah! okay. but, but at the end of the why? Because they celebrate everything I've done. Those good works that I was created for, prepared in Christ Jesus to do. Amen. It will be a celebration, I believe, at the end of our lives as we continue to live out those good works. God planned for us in Christ Jesus long ago. Amen. Any other thoughts before we wrap this up? Pastor Olga, anything for us? Anything online that I need to know about? No. Um, Jeanette just said, um, yes, amen. There's peace and forgiveness. Amen. No doubt. Okay. So uh, as this closes out here, okay, the Bible tells us that Ephesians 2, he tells us verse 19, we're no longer strangers. We're no longer foreigners. We are fellow citizens. We are saints. Okay. Uh, I know the Catholic Church celebrates people who they canonize, but we're saints as well. We're members of God's household. We're built on this, this cornerstone, this foundation, the, the apostles and the prophets, okay, who Jesus Christ himself, he is the chief cornerstone, okay? See, he's that, he's that, that, that center thing that everything is built on. So the, the prophets of the old covenant, the apostles of the new covenant, us, were built upon Jesus. So in him, the whole building is fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in Jesus, you too are being built together as a dwelling place for God's spirit. What's, if you don't catch anything about any of this entire chapter, just want you to remember this. It's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. There are so many ministers that want to get caught up in, in, in who we are as the masterpiece. And the only reason I'm a masterpiece is because of Jesus. Okay? I'm part of the building. The only reason I'm a part of the building is because of the chief cornerstone, Jesus. It is all about him. The reason that we can sit here together uh, of different colors, different backgrounds, you know, different, different levels of, of spirituality is because of Jesus. 
So let's continue to celebrate him and worship him and praise him with how we live our lives. And so when you come Sunday, don't be looking at me. <laughs> don't be looking at each other. Look to Jesus. It'll give you cause to celebrate. So, And if there's any life that I celebrate, it is I celebrate what Jesus has done. Three years, y'all. Three years is all it took him for me to 2,000 years later still be celebrating what he accomplished in just three short years. Amen. So we celebrate his, his death, his resurrection, and the fact that now we've been seated with him in heavenly places as well. So I'm going to close in prayer. Anything else tonight? Anything just like was stirring your spirit? I got to get this out. Got to talk about this. Okay. So let's just take a moment right now as we begin to pray and let's just thank God for his great grace. Amen. It's his gift okay, to us tonight. So you can join me in prayer wherever you're watching from as well. Can you just lift your hands with me right now? Heavenly Father, together we come to you and we say thank you. Thank you for the gift of your grace. Thank you for the gift of something I didn't deserve and I couldn't earn. It was by grace that I have been saved. And so I lift my hands and I say, thank you, Lord. And I receive the grace that I need tonight to continue to do right. <laughs> as much as I want to, I realize I'm still battling a sinful nature within me. I'm still battling the prince of the power of the air, trying to cause me to be disobedient. But Father, I lift my hands and I say, thank you. And I need your grace all the more, all the more. Your grace to keep me on the straight and narrow. Your grace to keep me sane. <laughs> your grace to, to keep me in in the marriage, your grace to keep me in the family, your grace to keep me in the body. I, I need that grace. As Brenda said earlier, God, I just need that grace for myself. I just need to be able to look in the mirror and just say, I'm going to give you what God has given you, grace to pick yourself up and to try again and again. I'm going to give myself grace when I'm driving on the road, Mama. I need it, so I'm going to give myself grace. Uh, I'm going to extend it to others. And I believe, Father, that in these last days, we're going to see such an outpouring of your grace because where sin abounds, grace so much more abounds. This generation needs your grace, Lord. And so we ask tonight that that grace would overflow in our hearts and in our lives. I want to pray this for those of you right now that, that feel like you're, you're, you're so low. I want to remind you, you've been seated in a high place, a different dimension. And, and I pray that you'll ultimately live in that revelation that you're seated in a place of dependency. You're, you're dependent on, on Christ Jesus, but yet here you are in a place of honor and authority. So Lord, help us to live in that, to think in that, to operate from that. And I believe tonight, God, that we're going to, we're going to be the generation that tears down those, those walls of division, those walls that separate us. I need somebody to help me pray right now before we get into this, another politically charged season. Come on, God, keep us united as the body. Keep us as one in Christ. Don't, don't allow us to be separated and segregated by skin color, by, by how we vote, by, by where we go to church. God, allow us to be the body of Christ wherever we go. We are, we are literally sitting here because of Jesus. And so we remain united because of Jesus. And if I'm going to be hostile towards anything, I want to be hostile towards anything that causes division in the body of Christ. So I thank you, Father, you're going to help us root it out. We draw it out. And ultimately, we're going to continue to be one in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, fill us with that grace. Fill us with that love so we can overflow. In these last days, let us be the church that, that shows others, as, as, as Eric was saying, God, let us be the church that shows others. Yes, you may have messed up. May, maybe you did things wrong. Maybe religion said you're not good enough, but Jesus says you're worthy of his grace. And his grace alone is what makes you good enough. Let us live in that, God. Help us to live in that. Help us to demonstrate that everywhere that we go. We thank you for it tonight. One more time, we just lift our hands and say thank you for your grace, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Come on, somebody. Give God praise tonight for his great grace for our lives. We love you. We will see you um, on Sunday. 
Uh, Sunday is actually child dedication, so we're going to be dedicating so many children to the Lord. I'm excited for that. And then also, we'll be meeting in two weeks again, either online or for those you can, uh, we'll be meeting in Bible study again uh, in person. So please join us in two weeks, uh, seven, seven o'clock. We'll do, we'll do our best to start on time next time. But we love you all. God bless you. We're signing off tonight. Pray for my White Sox, y'all. God bless you. Okay. <laughs>